this, this morning I have the uh, privilege of finishing up the sermon series that we've been in called Walk This Way. Now last week the weather forced us to be strictly online and for those of you that joined us, Pastor Steve talked about this idea that walking this way, walking God's way is walking a path of love. That we are to love others as God first loved us. Uh, by raise of hands, how many of you guys have heard of the PBR? Any hands, some of you? PBR, which stands for Professional Bull Riding. Okay, so this week I got really curious, decided to do some digging online. I, I just was really curious how the PBR got started. And I was wrong. My guess was is that there was a couple rednecks sitting around and someone was like, hey, Bill, bitch can't ride that bull for eight seconds. But that's, that's actually not what happened. Uh, so actually in Mexico, where they are famous for doing bullfighting, uh, I guess it started as an extension of bullfighting. Are you ready for this? People would ride a bull or attempt to ride a bull until it died. Until it just gave out, till it had nothing left and it would just collapse and fall over. Listen, I already had a lot of respect for the guys in PBR who could stay on a bull for eight seconds, but are you kidding me? Stay on a bull until it's dead? Holy cow. I'd love to look out and see how long the people were on a bull. But that's, that's exactly what I want to talk about today. Riding bulls. Now, uh, what, what I want to talk about today is that we are not doing this whole Christian life. We're not trying to be on the path for eight seconds. We want to be on the path for a lifetime. We want to be on the path forever, right? And that's what we want to focus on today. See, the whole series up to this point has been how do we discover the path? But today we're going to switch our focus a little bit and we're going to talk about, okay, we found the path. How do we stay on the path? And just like I'm sure there's strategies and, and tips for staying on a bull for a long time, it's the same for the path. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a couple ways. I want to give you some guidance that'll help you try to stay on the path. And we're going to jump right in. If you're taking notes, you can follow along. Let your distractions become reminders to return to the path. Let your distractions become reminders to return to the path. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes and pretend that you're driving on the interstate. And I want you to think to yourself, I probably shouldn't be closing my eyes because I'm driving. Um, pretend that you're on the interstate. Pretend that you're in Oklahoma, which is not hard. You guys have experienced this before. And all of a sudden you get a big gust of wind and then you hear that awful noise that you hear when you get too close to the edge. That All right, you can open your eyes now. All of you, I'm assuming if you have driven on an interstate in Oklahoma, you know what I'm talking about. The wind or your crazy driving for some of us has blown you into what I call the rumble strips. Now, I grew up in Florida, so I grew up thinking that the rumble strips were simply to just wake you up if you were falling asleep. But actually, I learned when I moved to Pennsylvania and, and dealt with a decent amount of snow is, is that they also help you find where the road ends. If you hear the rumble strips, 
you're too close to the road. Now that's helpful until you get snow like we've had and you, you're lucky if you're even on the road, right? This whole point of letting us know that you're too close to the edge. We can all agree that it's not great to drive on the rumble strip. One, I, I can't imagine it's good for your tires. Two, I, it would annoy the living daylights out of you, right? Just shaking the whole time. But also, you just don't want to drive too close to the edge because if you drive too close to the edge, it increases your chance of what? Of falling off the road. And that's exactly the advice that, that Solomon gives us. I want to read a verse from Song of Solomon's 8.4. And this verse is, is meant to be mostly about intimacy, but I think, it, I think it has to do with all desire. It says, Promise me, O people of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Don't awaken love before developing self-control. It's not just about love, but about desire. I have always said, and it is my belief, that it is easier to say no to the first donut than it is to say no to the second. I didn't hear any amens on that one. Right? Because once, once you taste the donut, you're like, oh, I could go for another. Right? That's what happens. This is the reason why we dilute juice for kids. Because if they get a full taste of that sugar, I'm not drinking water anymore. Mama, give me some of that good stuff. I'm not drinking this, right? Solomon issues this same warning for us. He's saying, listen, don't make life any harder than it already is. Don't live so close to the edge. Quit flirting with the line. Because every time you fall off, it's that much easier to do it again. Galatians 5, 7 asks us a really important question that I think we need to ask ourselves. And that is, who or what has impeded your progress and kept you from obeying the truth? You are off to such a good start. To me, it's, it's, it's looking into our lives and asking ourselves that question. What are my distractions? What are the things in my life that are drawing me too close to the edge? Now, those of you that know me well, this is not going to surprise you, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but there's been a couple, in my, a couple times in my life where I've hit the rumble strips because I was looking for hawks. Uh, that's life, you know what? Forgive me. But what, what about you? Is it text messaging? What are the things that lure you close to the edge? Think about it in our life. It is the way that you're choosing to live awakening sinful desire. What are the things that are distracting you from the path? I'm going to give you a couple. One for me is food. And I, I cannot believe that I'm not the only person at the end of the day who said, oh, I could go for some Oreos. But that's why I got to win that battle at the grocery store because I know if I buy Oreos, I'm not going to go home and say, oh, I just eat two tonight. No, I'll be lucky if I don't eat two sleeves right? What about gossip? Are there certain people in your life that you just, man, they just drag you into talking bad about other people? What about drugs? And, and we can pinpoint all the serious ones and say that's not an issue for me, but what are those things that we look to for comfort when life is hard? What about lust? And that's not just about lust for somebody else, but we lust for all different types of things. The scripture tells us to take every thought captive because guess what? Our thoughts build up. What about people pleasing? Those of us who are codependents, when others' happiness is more important than our own, than God's, what about money? Some of us struggle to live a life where money controls our decisions. What about work? Where work's more important than 
family or, or doing the things that we need to do? Or what about complacency? Sometimes it's easy just to accept the status quo. Or what about image? Do some of us care far too much how we look and getting the approval and likes of others? What about power? Are there some of us that we just need to be in control? What about our online interactions or text messages? Are we often flirting with the lines of what is and isn't appropriate? The question is, are you careful about what you let into your heart and mind? The music, the movies, what you absorb. Are you awakening sinful desire? Or are you careful about the situations that you put yourself in? Is the way you're living making it too easy for Satan to get a foothold? I uh, was honored and privileged to, to get to speak at a, a camp in Pennsylvania. And one night, one of the students came to me and he said, listen, man, I've been struggling with this and I'm not really sure what to do. I said, well, man, I'm a pastor. That's what I'm here for. I said, lay, lay it on me. Let's, let's talk about this. He said, I've been really struggling with, uh, with marijuana. And I just, I, he's like, it's not necessarily that I, I feel like I'm that addicted. He's like, I just don't feel like I see anywhere in the Bible where it says that I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't smoke. And, and I was like, you know what? I said, I, I'm not going to go the route that most people go. I said, and forgive me, but I, I think that you're thinking about this the wrong way because sometimes you get locked in this battle. You, you look at sin and you start thinking to yourself, am I, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? Am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? I said, Let, let's forget about that, okay? I said, I'm a pastor, so I have to tell you that it's against the law and you shouldn't do it, but let's think about this another way. Here's the question I'm going to ask for you because I think you're, you're, you're asking the wrong question. Here's the question I'm going to ask. Is marijuana drawing you closer to or further away from God. See, some of the things that we've talked about here, some of these examples that I've given, they're not necessarily all bad, right? But we've got to sit down and ask ourselves the question, are these things pulling us too close to the edge? Are these things calling us to live a life that, that looks more like Jesus or are they pushing us away from God? And maybe some of us, you're, you're here today and you say, listen, pastor, I'm sorry, but it is too late. I done already fell off the path. I fell for the distraction. But guess what? So is everybody else. So have I. Falling happens to us all, but it's important that we try to get back on the path as soon as possible. Don't let your, your failure push you away. Jesus came to save and not condemn. When you fall off the path, Jesus isn't standing there looking at you in the bushes going, you shouldn't have done that. No, he's, he's there standing, lending out a hand, wanting to pull you back onto the path. And being a Christ follower is not about being perfect, but it's about how we respond to our missteps. What do you do when you fail? See, Edison learned a very valuable lesson that failure is only failure when you give up. Otherwise, failure is an experience that guides us, helps relocate us, and puts us back on the right path. Sometimes, you guys understand this, sometimes you got to take a step in the wrong direction in order to find the right one. So then we ask the question, okay, how do I get back to the path? What does that look like? How do I run to God is the better question. How do I get back to God? And my question for you today is what spiritual practices in your life work best for you? Uh, there's something I do, and you're going to have to forgive me. Some of you guys are going to think this is weird, but that's okay. Just blame it on me being a pastor. 
But sometimes I like to come to church early in the morning, not that often because I don't wake up that early. But every now and then when I know that I just need to be with Jesus, I try to get here before everybody else is here. And I, I come into the sanctuary with all the lights out. I get my Bluetooth speaker. I set it up here on stage. I blast worship music as loud as possible. And I come and I stand right here and I take my socks and shoes off and I just stand before God like I'm standing on holy ground. And I say, God, I need you. Refocus me. And maybe some of you are thinking, man, that's kind of weird. I don't think I'm ever going to walk up there again because Pastor Will's been up there barefoot. But that's fine. But it's okay if, if what works for you is a little strange. Sometimes it takes a little more than just reading or prayer or worship or serving. You just got to find what works for you. David in the Bible, King David, he made music. He wrote songs. He journaled. Daniel had a ridiculous prayer life. Moses went to the tent of meeting. Josiah read scripture publicly. Hannah just wept through worship. Hezekiah gave his plans to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they worshiped God by not bowing down to idols. Esther found courage in a relationship with her uncle. And Jesus, when he needed to, he made time and he retreated to desolate, quiet places so that he could pray alone. Find your sanctuary. Find what works for you. Run to God. Reclaim the path. Instead of letting your distractions and your mistakes win, use them as a way to get back to the path. Don't get shameful about, oh, I didn't do this right. I didn't do this right. Oh, who cares? They'll screw up. How are you going to respond to that? Run to him. Run to God. Whatever works best for you. Let me give you another one. Let your words be few so that his can be many. Let your words be few so that his can be many. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a contemplative buyer. So when I go to Walmart to buy something or Target, whatever store I go to, I will stand in the aisle and stare at something for five to 10 minutes, thinking about all the things that one should think about when buying something. Am I going to use this? Is this thing going to work good for me? Is if it doesn't work, am I going to be able to return it? Or if I find out in a year that I just don't use it anymore, am I going to be able to resell it on Craigslist? I think about all these things, right? So usually I end up putting myself in these situations a lot where there's somebody else in the aisle and they're talking. And me being a normal human being, what do I do? I respond to them. So the other day, this guy is standing in the aisle. I'm staring at something, probably dog food, wondering what the right dog food I should buy. And this guy asks a question. So what do I do? I do what any normal person does. And I respond to his question. And I'm sure that this has happened to some of you guys too. But then he turns to me with a nasty look on his face and points to his Bluetooth. I'm like, well, dude, you know what? I'm sorry. You know, I'm just trying to be kind. I didn't know you were having a conversation with somebody else. But what he was doing is he had put these headphones in, right? And he was tuning everyone out so that he could hear from the person who was on the other side of the phone. I thought to myself, what would it look like if we could do that with God, where we could tune everybody else out just for a few moments and just hear his voice? But in order to hear God, we got to separate ourselves from our distractions. we got to separate ourselves from the noise. And let me just tell you, it ain't easy. Most of us would ask the question, I don't have time for that. Those of us with children would say, is that even possible? 
It's not impossible. It's just hard. And sometimes we got to put in the work to make it happen. And this is a little perspective for you. I, I, I thought about this this week and it, it hurt a little bit. Jesus had three years to save the world. Three years of ministry to do what he needed to do. And he still found time to pray. So I think it's pretty important that we do it too. Proverbs 3, 6 says this. Seek his way in all you do and he will show you which path to take. We're, we're talking about trying to stay on the path today. It lays it out for us. If you want to stay on the path, he is the path. You got to seek him. But the purpose of seeking him is not just to read his word or to, or to pray or to do all these things, but it's to take time to sit in silence and say, God, I need you to speak to me. Sometimes we got to silence what's going on. I think this happens with, with solitude and, and contemplative prayer. And what I mean by that is prayer where we talk. It's a conversation, a place where we have time to quiet our minds and deal with our thoughts, deal with our anxieties and our fears and our panic and our concern, distraction, frustration, depression. It's a place of surrender where we talk, but then we take time to listen. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't pray because I'm too distracted, sometimes literally and sometimes figuratively, too distracted up here in my head. Sometimes I don't pray because I think I'm too busy Sometimes I pray, don't pray because I'm not really sure what to say, which maybe I need to listen and not talk. Sometimes I don't pray because I don't feel like it. And can I just tell you, when you don't feel like praying, that's when you need to pray the most. And I believe that that feeling is from Satan himself because he knows the power that prayer can have in your life. Sometimes I don't pray because I'm ashamed. I feel unworthy. Well, that's ignorant of grace. Sometimes I don't pray because I'm afraid afraid of what I might hear or maybe what I won't hear. That's why Jesus praying in the garden brings me so much comfort. In Scripture, we're told that he goes to the garden and he prays this prayer and he prays a selfish prayer. He says, God, if you could take this cup of suffering from me, please do. But then he ends it with something really, really important. He says, but your will be done, not mine. He ends his prayer in submission. It's okay to have selfish prayers. But we got to make sure that we always end in submission. But instead of, instead of keeping from prayer, I mean, Jesus was, was anxious. He was terrified. He was distressed. God, dude, he was sweating blood. I don't know about you. I've been stressed out before, but I ain't never sweat blood before. Right? But instead of, instead of keeping him from prayer, he prayed more fervently. And it's in prayer that he found his answer. He found his mission. He found his courage. He found the courage to trust God and to know God has a better plan. And maybe say, you know what, Pastor Will, that is great. That is good stuff. But I pray all the time. I feel like God doesn't ever say anything to me. Is it possible that you're not listening? Personally, I have never heard the audible voice of God. He has always spoken to me through his word. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. A light to the path, his word. It matters who you fill that word in with, right? Your is God. Your is not me. Your is not you. Our word does nothing. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God is everlasting. And maybe at this point in your life, you're like, man, I am so sick of pastors telling me to read the Bible. And maybe at this point, it, it seems maybe disingenuous to you. But can I just say, we say it all the time because it works. 
You don't know why I shower daily? You don't know why I put on deodorant daily? You know why I brush my teeth daily? Because it works. Right? I wake up and I don't want to smell bad, so I put this weird stuff on my armpits, right? And it helps me smell good all day. If I forget to do it, do I die? No. But I risk smelling bad, right? That's what I'm talking about. Like it's, it's not a sin to miss out on reading God's word, but you got to think about what you're missing out on if you don't do it. You miss out on his joy and his peace. You miss out on the light that leads you to the path. I cannot count the number of times where I opened his word and he said to me exactly what I needed to hear, where I found his word to be a light to stay on the right path. I found his word has brought me light in some of my darkest moments. And maybe today you're sitting there and you're like, man, I feel like I read, but I just feel like my reading has been fruitless. Can I just say, man, reach out. Ask a pastor. It wasn't until I got to college where somebody showed me how to read and understand and apply the word to my life. That's what we get paid to do. That's one of the greatest joys of my life. If you're struggling, come to me. Make time to seek and he will show you the path. Let his word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Make time to listen, and I think you'll find that God's got a lot to say. Let me give you one more. Let go of your way for his way. Let go of your way for his way. I'm going to read some lyrics to a pretty popular song. Some of you guys are going to catch up on this, but I'm going to read them and not sing to them because I don't want you to leave. So here we go. Regrets. I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and I saw it through without exemption. I planned each chartered course, each careful step along the byway. For what is man and what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That's right. I did it my way. And I didn't come here today to disrespect Frank Sinatra. But can I just say real quick, what a load of horse. Right? That is, it's garbage. Our culture puts this, this high value on independence, but this cannot be our way. The opposite. Let me let, read this. I mean, not the words of one who kneels. I took the blows. No, 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 no. I kneel because he took the blows. 40 lashes, three nails, one cross for me, for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems right to man, but what? This way ends in death. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Can I just get honest with you this morning? My way doesn't end well, right? I've figured that out. And I'm not willing to bet my life on it. Are you? Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This scripture gives us insight to this idea that we have two options. There's two destinations. There's God's way and there's your way. There's the human way. 
And God's nice enough to say, one leads to life and one doesn't. One makes you look like the world and everybody else, and one makes you look like God. You are being formed every day. The question is, are you being conformed or are you being transformed? And conformed, it doesn't mean evil. The Pharisees conformed to the word of God. But here's the problem. The law was rigid and it was void of God's mercy, grace, and love. There's a story in Scripture parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. And most of the time when we talk about the prodigal son, we talk about the younger son who took his dad's inheritance and he went away and he wasted it and and made terrible decisions and then came back and the father runs to him. But this parable is actually about the older son. Jesus is telling this parable to a Pharisee and he's saying, this is who you've been like. You've been the older son. You've been the son that doesn't care about his brother. When that son came home and and the dad throws this big party and the older son refuses to go to the party. He's mad at his dad. He's like, you never threw me a party. I stayed here and did what was right. But he missed the point. And sometimes, you know what? I feel like that older son. I feel like a little bit self-righteous. And I feel like sometimes I have the discipline but I'm void of God's mercy. Sometimes I see the world as broken because it doesn't look like me. I attempt to honor God with my words and my actions, but at times my heart is far from him. We've got to understand that spiritual depth does not come from our adherence to the law, but rather our proximity to the heart of Jesus Christ. Spiritual depth is directly related to our relational depth with Jesus Christ. And we've got to understand that as evangelical Christians in today's world, we are the older son. This story is for us. It's describing how easy it is for us as churchgoers to become Pharisees, people who follow God's law, people who are close to spiritual things, but our heart is far from him. The older son was was thinking that he was righteous, and maybe he was, but he missed the point. The path of obedience, yes, it's an honorable one, but it's not God's path. Because God's path is a path where obedience always yields to love. God was never looking for an obedient employee. He was looking for a son, somebody to share his life and his heart with. That's what God wants from us. John 14, 6 says, John 14, 6 says, I am the way. Jesus is the path. We just talked about like, that's why running to him works because he is the path. He says, I am the way. We got to ask ourselves, are our hearts starting to look more or less like Jesus? Are we becoming grumpy at the deepness of God's grace for others? Are we celebrating the victories of Christ even in our enemies? See, this challenges us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to take care of orphans and widows, to serve the least of these to make disciples, to defend the foreigners in our land, to be peacemakers, to bear spiritual fruit. And I ask this to us as a congregation, not not as a shameful thing, but just just to call out and say, could we be doing better? Are we doing this? Are we doing it well? Could we be doing better? And not just because it's it's one of those things on God's Christian checklist that we need to do, but is it who we're becoming? When I lived in Pennsylvania, when I first got there, I had never even dreamed of doing anything woodworking. 
I've never even tried to build anything without detailed instructions with holes that were already pre-drilled, right? Didn't even attempt it. But then I started hanging out with somebody named Dennis. And Dennis became a really, really good friend, almost like a second dad to me, which his name's Dennis too, that's strange. But we started hanging out a bunch and he had a workshop in the back. And I'd go into the workshop and I'd do projects with him. And then the projects I helped him out with turned into my own projects. And then I started doing stuff on my own. And then I was buying tools on my own. And then I just started doing woodworking. And it became something that I love to do. This is exactly what I mean. Jesus doesn't come to us and say, here, here's, here's the list of things you need to do if you want to get into heaven. And he says, come with me. I am the way. Let me, let me show you how this works. And then by being in his presence, we just kind of naturally become more like him. Being close to his heart, we allow his compassion to trickle down in us. That we don't serve out of duty, but naturally out of our own character, a character that's been passed down. And this can only happen if we're close enough to be molded by the hands of the potter. God's way is walking the path of love for all people. Have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter? Anybody read that and go, man, ain't none of this easy. Love is patient? Oh, man, whoever wrote this didn't have kids. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Is that even possible? Listen, Jesus never said it would be easy. He just said, this is the way. And it's not your way, and that's why it's hard, but it's the best way. He is love. He is the path. I'm going to invite Rachel and Dan back up, and, and they're going to lead us and run to the Father again. And I, I just hope you feel comfortable to respond to the way that you need to respond today. And I want to end today by reading you a quote from Henry Nouwen. And I just felt like this quote just hit me hard this week. And I felt like it said exactly what I'm trying to say here at the end. Look at Jesus. The world did not pay any attention to him. He was crucified and put away. His message of love was rejected by a world in search of power, efficiency, and control. This rejected, unknown, wounded Jesus simply asked, do you love me? Do you really love me? He whose only concern had been to announce the unconditional love of God had one question to ask. Do you love me? The question is not how many people take you seriously? How much are you going to accomplish? Can you show me some results? No, the question was this. Are you in love with Jesus? Perhaps another way of putting the question would be, do you know the incarnate God? In our world of loneliness and despair, there is an enormous need for men and women who know the heart of God, a heart that forgives, a heart that cares, a heart that reaches out, a heart that desires to heal. In that heart, there is no suspicion, no vindictiveness, no resentment, and not a tinge of hatred. It's a heart that only wants to give love and receive love in response. It's a heart that suffers immensely because it sees the magnitude of human pain and the great resistance of trusting the heart of God who wants to only offer consolation and hope. 
when we live that life of the older son and we live that life where we're just trying to follow the law, this, this is what happens to us. We get into the presence of Jesus and we expect him to ask us, what have you done for me lately? That's not what Jesus wants from us. He just wants us to be there. He just wants us to be present. He wants to ask us how we're doing. He wants to show us a better way. He wants to remind us of his love and of his grace. And when you're down in the bushes, he wants to reach out his hand to pull you out. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're on the path. Maybe you're not on the path. But you have an opportunity today to respond. You have an opportunity today to do exactly what this song says, to run to the Father. Why? Because I need a father who's like a surgeon, who can remove in me the things that needs to be removed. But I also need something much more than that. My soul needs a friend, somebody who I can be real with, somebody who can be close, somebody who can rub off on me his character, his love, his truth. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this place. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship. Lord, I hope that today we take full advantage of of the opportunity that this place provides. And this is just a building. But it's a building until we fill it up. Then it becomes a church. Father God, I know that uh, we come here today because all of us, we, we seek the path and we seek to stay on the path. And I know that for some of us this week, we felt like we fell off the path. It's okay. Just help us to find it again. Help us to run to you. Help us to to find some practices and some spiritual disciplines that that would just draw us closer to your heart. Lord, help us to remember what the path really is, that you are the path. That means giving up the way we want to do things for your way. And your way is a way of love. So Lord, as we experience your grace and your love here in this place, we ask that you would challenge us that we would walk out and we would be not just recipients of those things, but Lord, that we would be givers. As you said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So Father, give us the strength and courage to be your people. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen.